0: Thank you so much for the privilege to be here this morning with you all. Um, It's really good to be back with you again here at Echo Lake, and I say that, and some of you are probably thinking back. Well, yes, it's been a while. I actually uh, preached twice here in 2016, um, five years ago in June and August of that year, and so much has certainly changed for you as a church since that time, all for the good. Uh, Pastor Jeff was... Was not even here yet, I don't believe, right? Uh, and by the way, I just want to say you have a great pastor. He's awesome. Um, and I really mean that. So um, God ordained a, a great leader for this church. And I'm thankful to know him, getting to know him more. And it's been a great, uh, just a great experience getting to know Jeff and the men from this church up at Lake Champion. Yesterday, I was here at the men's breakfast. Uh, with 21 guys here yesterday morning. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, my Echo Lake brothers, I call them. And so this morning, we get to celebrate the joy of being together with all of you in worship. So, so, in the simplest context, we're all here this morning because we are faithfully responding to God and, and what He offers to us. And He's the one whose purpose really shapes our path. Okay, His grace redeems our detours, and His transforming presence meets us at every single turn in life. And I I really want to thank the worship team for uh, that beautiful It Is Well. That is one of my favorite songs, and it's going to integrate beautifully into this message this morning, and that may be by God's design, I'm sure it is. For those areas beneath the surface of our lives that are heavy, and burdensome areas of brokenness, I pray that God meets us in those places here this morning. Would you please pray with me? So God, we come before you today out of just simple discipline of the loving obedience that we offer to you, just no strings attached. We put no conditions on it. We have no expectations of how you desire to change us through our time with you this morning. We just know that is your desire. And so we humbly leave that up to you. We ask now, Father, that you prepare our hearts to be receptive to the truth of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So this morning, I want you to think about the particular challenges that you may have encountered at different times in your life, some unexpected, some maybe expected. Metaphorically speaking, how have you allowed those challenges to paralyze you, to hold you captive and perhaps prevent you from moving forward in life? And then secondly, are there any continuing challenges that may define you or how you live? And are you even aware of what those challenges may be? So I'm going to paint a broad brush picture right now and make the claim that we all have challenges in life. I think that's a safe assessment. Unless, of course, you've lived your entire life inside of a bubble of euphoria and that in itself would be a challenge, wouldn't it? So in my 27 years of youth ministry, I saw the challenges that young people experienced from harsh words and inappropriate labels and bad relationships. Takes me back to my own childhood growing up. There was always someone who was much smarter, more athletic, more attractive, more popular. And over time, some of those challenges, they do go away, but some do not. And as years pass by, each new phase of life brings with it new and unexpected types of challenges, and these are just the ones on the lighter side. And my calling to full-time ministry has opened my eyes to whole new levels of challenges in the lives of other people. I talk with people every week who carry incredible burdens, burdens of illness, burdens of loss and grief. Others' hearts are broken from disappointments and betrayal. Marriages are at breaking points. Stress and loneliness, addiction and anxiety are all fairly common challenges. The incarcerated men that I work with on a weekly basis in my ministry have more baggage than you could ever imagine. Our worst day in life will pale in comparison to the struggles that these men have dealt with in life and continue to deal with. I lead support groups for men that are struggling with different facets of sexual addiction and pornography. This is a very serious crushing epidemic in the men's lives and it thrives in secrecy and darkness. Men are held captive to enemy strongholds with lustful desires and behavior And it's destroying marriages and families. Then there are some of us who appear to have it all together. While on the inside, we wonder why it seems so empty. Week after week and month after month and year after year, we go through the motions of going to church and believing and reading the Bible and praying. But... We still feel that there's something missing. We can't exactly put our finger on it, but we just know something's missing. We feel stuck. We become so accustomed to our predictable, safe, familiar pattern of living that we are unaware that God is calling us to a much deeper place of intimacy with him. Far too often, we fail to realize the difference between real living and just simply existing. Consequently, we settle for the status quo. And with the status quo comes a dangerous, drowning spirit of discontentment. you're probably thinking, wow, Pastor Steve, that's a really bleak picture that you just painted for us. It's a good thing that the sermon doesn't end there. But discontentment is a tough place because it's a real place in the lives of humanity. And so this morning, I invite you to join me as we immerse ourselves into a scripture passage from the fifth chapter of John, an encounter with Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. In Aramaic, Bethesda means house of grace. And in Hebrew, it means house of mercy. The name and meaning of the pool, the pool of Bethesda, gives a hint of the encounter that is about to take place that day. Please follow along as I read the sermon text for this morning, John 5, verses 1 through 11. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Those are porches. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. The man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. The man Who made me well? Hmm. When we read this passage, the tendency is to focus on this act of miraculous healing that takes place in the life of this man, the invalid. But if that is all we see, we miss the context, and then we miss the context of the interaction between Jesus and this man then we miss a significant point of this text. At the very least, let's agree in one way or another that we all need help. That we often find ourselves unable to do the things that we want to do or ought to do. Because in a sense, we are helpless, weak, in need of something. And because our spirit becomes Stagnant, we just accept things for what they are. And we find ourselves like the man in this text, metaphorically lying on a mat, waiting for something to change. Our text shows us a man that's ill for 38 years, lying beside a pool of water, waiting for the slim possibility that his life might change. 38 years. These individuals hanging out at the pool of Bethesda, they're most likely unable to earn a living. They're often ostracized by their community. To endure chronic illness or have disabilities was not only a physical hardship, but an impenetrable barrier to the normal way of living. We don't know the cause of this man's suffering. We just know that for a very long time, he has been unable to do the things that most of us take for granted. But apparently, even after 38 years, he still has a sliver of hope. Otherwise, why would he be there? And so this man took his place with many sick, disabled individuals who came to this area. Some literally living by the sides of this pool, waiting for an opportunity to be healed. The tradition of this pool was supposedly its healing properties. And those that gathered there were hoping to receive one of the healings that reportedly transpired whenever an angel miraculously stirred the troubled waters or troubled the waters or stirred the waters. How do we know that? Well, if you look carefully at the text, you'll see that the verses do not include a verse four. They jump from verse three to verse five. And then there's usually a superscript or a footnote that takes you to the bottom of the page to explain why verse four is missing. There's an omission there. Verse three would be longer. It would read, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, which is where it stops right now. But in other versions of scripture, it says this, and they waited for the moving of the waters. That would have been added to the ending of verse three. And then the missing verse four would read as follows. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, the first one into the pool, after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Scholars who make a career out of comparing manuscripts of the Greek New Testament have discovered that verse 4 was likely not original, and therefore, many modern Bible translations have omitted it. If you have an older version of the King James Bible, you may have verse 3 in its entirety as well as verse 4. Also, the idea that an angel stirred the waters at a given time during the year was considered to be superstitious. It was more likely to be the result of a natural spring in that area. If you've ever seen a natural spring, it has movement of the waters all the time. Which is why verse 7 mentions the stirring of the water, but it does not mention the angel. It's likely that John... The author of this gospel knew of the superstitious belief about the waters of Bethesda, but he chose to leave it out for a specific reason. Perhaps he did not wish to endorse the speculation of inconsistent healing from the water so that the readers of this gospel would focus more on the true and more significant healing that was about to take place that day. Jesus, the friend of sinners, the compassionate man, the divine healer, clearly present in this text. But he doesn't throw a big healing party for everyone that was there that day. Remember, there was five colonnades, five covered porches. He didn't just empty those porches and say, hey, come on down. I'm going to lay hands on all of you. You're all going to be healed. He didn't do that. The value of of a story like this, and the reason it is in the Gospels is not only to reveal who Jesus was, but to show us how God deals with weakness and helplessness. Jesus went up to one man. One man. Was it the helplessness of this man that drew Jesus to him? The man was not drawn to Jesus. He didn't know it was Jesus, in our own weakness and our own helplessness, we may not even realize or recognize that God is present. Something strange happens next. In verse 6, Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to get well? The compassionate Jesus takes a look at this man lying on the ground, knowing he has been ill for quite some time, and asks him, do you want to get well? Our first thoughts might be, what was he thinking? Seems somewhat insulting, doesn't it? That question, why did Jesus ask such an obvious question? question. Knowing that Jesus does not have a reputation of asking sarcastic or foolish questions, it should tell us that this question was not meant to be insensitive. It was meant to be insightful. Jesus obviously knew this man needed, he needed to get well. That's not the question that Jesus asked him. He asked the man if he wanted to get well. Do you want to get well? It was by all means an appropriate and legitimate question for Jesus to ask because you can't always help someone who needs help if they truly don't want help. Those of you who have raised children, you may be familiar with that. Did you ever try to help one of your children when they're stuck doing something and you go to them very compassionately and say, oh, honey, do you need help? And they say, nope, I'm fine. And they're struggling. The answer was not as obvious as it must have seemed then or to us now. Jesus truly wanted to know, did the man really want to be made well or not? Did he want to be healed? In some of the older translations of this text, the question is phrased differently. It says, do you want to be made whole? What about us? Do we want to get well? Do you and I want to be made whole? Through the healing that Christ will offer us. You know, 30 years ago at the Lake Champion Men's Weekend, that's the, the men's retreat that Jeff referred to. It's been going on for a long time, well over 30 years. And so over 30 years ago, when I went there for the very first time, long before I was on staff with Priority One, I was lying on my own mat. I didn't even know I was sick. Spiritually, I was lost. I needed to be made whole. I needed to be healed. That weekend, the Jesus that I didn't know asked me the same question. Steve, do you want to get well? It was an unexpected and provocative and challenging and uncomfortable Question. It gets your attention right away because it confronts you with the challenge of change. You see, some people, they want all the benefits of change, but they don't want to change. Do you want to get well? That question meant for me what it meant for the lame man in this story. Was I really willing really willing to let go of my old way of life. Fortunately, I made up my mind at that moment that it was time for a change. When we read this text, the man's response to Jesus is surprising and somewhat frustrating. One would expect him to just yell yell out to Jesus, yes, of course I want to get well. Right now, I want to be healed. But instead, his response was not positive at all. And he actually avoided the question. Verse 7, he said, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. The man's preference was to give excuses for the situation that he was in. In reality, he might have been saying, I can't be healed. I've tried. I've done everything I know. I want to get into that water where I can be healed, but I lack the ability. I have no one to help me. I'm ready to give up. I have no hope. His words suggest that he was trying to shift the blame to others for his own circumstances. It was their fault because they had not given him the help that he needed. The reason I'm not well is because of everyone else. You know, there are some interesting parallels between the layman in this text and ourselves. It's not my fault, right? It's not my fault my marriage is on the rocks. It's not my fault I can't find a job. It's not my fault. I can't stop watching pornography. It's not my fault. I can't forgive that person. It's always someone else's responsibility or obligation. We prefer the attention and the sympathy that we get from talking about our struggles. We play the blame game for the mess that we're in rather than taking responsibility for living the life that God wants for us. We resist the challenge of change. We often abandon our desire for wholeness because of fear. We're deeply afraid of what might happen if we change. We find ourselves unable to surrender the security of the present, no matter how disappointing or painful it may be for the uncertainty of the future. But is the security of the present really security? Sometimes the reality of life is far less than what we had expected. And over time, we become attached to the comfortableness of our brokenness. It becomes what we know, and so it feels as a security. Many people are right where this man was feeling helpless, hopeless, having a sense of fear of making a change, not sure if they should let go of their familiar way of living because it feels secure. That brings us to this critical moment in the text. Jesus asked the man if he wants to get well. The man gives Jesus a bunch of excuses and Jesus responds back to the man by saying, Oh, come on, buddy, stop your whining. I'll help you into the water. No, he didn't say that. He also didn't say, just be patient. Someday you'll make it in time. Someday it will all work out. Someday you will be right by the edge of this pool just at the right time, and then all you have to do is fall in. You know, maybe if you and I were there by the pool with this man, I know I probably would have said, let me just make you more comfortable. Let me get you a better mat to lie on. Maybe that would have been my response to the man instead of introducing him to Jesus. But we weren't there. Jesus was. Jesus, the divine, in his infinite sovereignty, pushed aside the superstitious belief that the man was holding on to. He circumvented all of his excuses and responded back to him by saying, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Kind of paraphrase as I don't want to hear your excuses. I want to see your faith. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Powerful words spoken by Jesus. Imagine what that man may have been thinking. What happens if I fail? How can I cope not begging for a living? Can I trust this man's word? Will he help me if I listen to him? The text tells us this lame man immediately obeys Jesus' command. That must have taken immense courage and faith. After 38 years, a moment in the presence of Jesus completely changed everything for this man. A moment in the presence of Jesus changed everything. but he could not experience God's healing power until he assumed the responsibility of choosing life and risking the possibility of transformation. What was true then in this text is still true for us today. We can only be made well to the degree that we want to be made well. If we are content to stay as we are, no matter how miserable that may be, there can be no change, no possibility of healing taking place. The gospel truth in all of this is that we must recognize our own helplessness and brokenness apart from God. That is our shared human condition. The question Jesus asked is the ultimate question that each of us, each of us must answer. Do we really want to be made well? God can do very little for us if we are comfortable with our mat of choice, whatever that may be, our place in life where we resist the change that we need. We will never change what we're willing to tolerate. We will never change what we're willing to tolerate until our desire for change becomes greater than what we're willing to tolerate. We're going to stay the same. We have this innate ability to adjust to just about any kind of circumstances in order to survive. But that's our problem. We too often settle for surviving rather than striving toward authentic living in Christ. Jesus' question to the man about the healing of his physical condition was not the main point of this text at all. The question behind the question that Jesus Ask is a much deeper question for all of us, and it's what is it that we really need from God? I'm afraid that many of us don't really know the answer to that. What is it that we really need from God? What does God offer us? The spiritual well being Christ offers to all of us is greater than our physical well being. It has to do with the sickness of our souls. St. Augustine said it very well. We are all restless until we find our rest in thee. This is what God offers to us through Christ. Rest for our souls. And that song, it is well with my soul. Now you understand why that's so important. but maybe we have something different in mind. Maybe we really don't want to be made well. Maybe we want to stay the way we are. Maybe we feel safe just carrying that mat around, just in case something comes up, another challenge, and we throw it on the ground and say, I'm just going to hang out on this mat. However, the question that Jesus asks us, do you want to get well, deserves an honest answer. God's not going to just reach down and heal us. We must choose the responsibility and the desire to be healed, as well as the gift of healing itself. It's really a question of faith, a question that points Us toward the freedom that Jesus offers us by walking in obedience with him. Can you let go of your own fear of change and trust God to make all things new? A new life, a new way of living, that is the good news of being made well, being made whole in Christ. If you and I really want to be made well, then we must respond to the words from Jesus, his invitation to us in this text and here this morning. Get up, pick up your mat and walk.